We are proud to partner with MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Students can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, wind time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and so much more. Even my favorite, Synergy Time. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com slash BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash BE. This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies edtech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable, real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com BE. That's IXL.com slash B-E. Welcome to Transformative Principle, where you learn how to be a leader and not just a manager of a to-do list. I'm your host, Jethro Jones. You can find me on Twitter at Jethro Jones. Your to-do list is a hungry monster that is never satisfied. For the last year and a half, I've helped principals get awards, get promoted, and find the time to do the work that really matters. I recently opened a new mastermind slot. Schedule a call with me and let's overcome the stressed and isolated principal position together. Go to the show notes for this episode at transformativeprincipal.org and click schedule a call with Jethro. Transformative Principal episode 213 with Dr. Pedro Noguera. I'm going to continue my conversation with Dr. Noguera this week and we're going to talk about how we forge relationships through extra activities. And it's just a great conversation. I hope you enjoy it. Here's my interview. Thank you so much for listening. As we move forward in education, there there are going to be changes and things are going to happen that are going to be different. And especially with uh, one-to-one programs and personalized learning and kids having more access to technology, there are a lot of equity issues that, that come with that that make it seem almost insurmountable for shrinking budgets to be able to afford to buy devices for families that can't afford it and, and things like that. How does technology and educational change play into this equity piece? And what are, what's some of your advice for overcoming the challenges that we face? Well, once we have a partnership that's rooted in trust and respect, then we can have the hard conversations we sometimes have to have with parents. You know, there are a lot of parents who do things that actually hurt their children, um, letting them play too many video games or be on Facebook or whatever, on Instagram late at night when they should be sleeping. And so if you have a relationship that's rooted in trust, you can talk to parents about things they can do to turn off the TV, limit access to, to the computer or to the smartphones so that the child is um, able to do the homework and get to bed on time. But you can only have conversations like that that don't come off like a judgment uh, if there's a real relationship that's, that's based on trust. So, but we absolutely need to be able to let parents know because many parents, you know, they get no training on how to be a parent. And um, they may not realize that some of the things they're doing with their children are actually undermining them. 
A lot of parents don't, uh, you know, understand nutrition, uh, understand the importance of uh, children getting enough sleep. Those are basic things that if, if parents got their kids to bed on time, it has an impact on, on achievement in school. So parents are more likely to listen to us if we are, uh, again, speaking to them respectfully. Yeah. And I think about as the child goes to the doctor and they're like, you need to get this $200 per pill medicine for mm. your child. And the parents are like, I'll do it. Doesn't matter what it takes. We're going to make sure that my kid gets better. And they don't have that same relationship with with teachers that a teacher will say, you know, the kid needs to go to bed on time. And it's like, or even call a student out on misbehavior and the parent will say, no, that's not happening. My kid doesn't do that. And, and those kinds of things. How do we overcome that so that we, we have that same trust and respect that, you know, like a physician would? I, I think in the same way that we wouldn't expect the physician to ask the patient to do something for which they have no uh, adequate resources, we want to do the same thing as educators. You know, it, it's unreasonable to expect a, uh, a child who's struggling that the family's going to pay for a private tutor to, to compensate. Now, affluent families do, do do those things, and it makes a huge difference, but many families can't afford that. And so we have to think, be more creative. Other ways in which we can address the child's need uh, without expecting that the, the families can pay for it on their own. So, you know, it's just a question of, um, of, of being... Um, you know, again, empathy is about understanding what people's lives are like and, and what challenge they face and, and how to navigate those challenges. Okay. And so when we start venturing out into offering additional supports and programs, how do we determine who we're going to offer those to and how to make the best uh, decisions for the kids? How do we go through and find the right kids that actually need the extra support and not misidentify and give kids that don't need that support that extra time or effort or energy? What are some of your, the ways we can overcome that challenge of finding out who to give the support to? Well, that's, that's the really tough question because uh, we know that a lot of times the quiet kids are the ones who get neglected because, you know, they just slip through the cracks. And, and so, you know, the, the challenge is getting to know each child and then figuring out how to provide the, the support. You know, none of this is easy. Um, but, you know, one of my former students, he's in a, uh, he was teacher of the year in math in the state of California. He's now an assistant principal at a high school in, in Sacramento. He's responsible for all 600 freshmen in the school. He meets with each student. By the second month of school, he's met with every single student in his cohort. He knows something about them. He tries to remember their names. Um, he knows which ones are in difficult circumstances. He uses the information to help teachers help the kids, and it has an enormous impact because when kids are known, they behave differently. It's the anonymous kid that no one knows, that no adult is connected with. Those are the kids that usually slip through the cracks. That is such a, a neat experience. That's definitely somebody we'll have to connect on afterward and make sure that I get a chance to interview him as well because taking that effort and time to sit down and meet with each kid is really does make a difference. And I love that idea that that you said that when kids are known, they behave differently. And I can't remember if it was you that said it or somebody else, but at the conference, somebody mentioned that if you say hello to someone by name, that may be the first time they hear their name that day or or something along those lines. And just recognizing how much people appreciate being known 
personally is is really important and that can't be overstated i don't think absolutely absolutely you know that sense of belonging that is so essential for kids and their success we've known for many years for example that kids who are involved in music in sports and theater they do much better in school than the kids who are not involved and part of it is because of the relationships they're forging through those activities you know there are ways in which we can create a an environment where not only are kids known but where they feel connected and they feel like they're part of a community yeah so my my question to that then is how do we figure out how to get kids involved in in something and to me that seems like the real area where you know when when I interviewed Seth Godin for this podcast he used the term enrollment how do we get kids truly enrolled and we do that by making them a part of the community and how do we find their gifts or talents or abilities that make them they give them a place to shine. Uh, I got an email from a parent who said that, you know, he, he didn't like one of the things we were doing. And I said, my goal at our school is to find the way that every kid can shine and be their unique self. How do we find those things and, and incorporate those into what we're doing at school? It seems like sports are easy, but the other things are not so easy. No, that's true. And not all kids like sports. You know, uh, Johns Hopkins University uh, developed something called uh, the Talent Development High School. And I encourage your, the listeners to check it out. And uh, Robert Belfans at Johns Hopkins has done similar work. And, and what, this, what they do in these schools that they're developing is they, they start by there's an intake uh, for every student when a student starts a school. And one of the things is an interest inventory, and they find out what the student is interested in. And that can serve as the basis for connecting kids and their interests to what the school has available. And if it's not available, kid is interested in Frisbee and there's no Frisbee team, let's create one. Let's get some other kids who want to do Frisbee. But it also gives you some basic information about a student so that we can begin to know who they are and how to support them. So there are tools we can use that help. You know, if you showed up at a hospital, they wouldn't just assign you a bed. They would have to first to kind of figure out what's going on with you and uh, what your needs are before they, they figure out what kind of treatment you're in need of. In schools, too often, all we know is the child's age, and um, then we assign them a class because there's space. And that kind of reinforces a, 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 this feeling of anonymity, uh, which usually gets in the way of a success in school for most kids. Yeah, that uh, that is so true. And it's it's one of those things where at the beginning of a school year, it's, you know, we're building the master schedule and it's really about, you know, how do we make sure that every kid has a seat? And it's not about, you know, who needs what teacher and how that teacher will best help them. And that's definitely very challenging, but it just, the way you say it seems like a duh, no brainer. Why wouldn't we, you know, make the effort to ensure that we know who's going to be good with that kid. (laughs) But, but again, that seems like we need to almost make the schedule after we've met the kids and hung out with them for a couple of days and learned about them. And that just seems so uh, contrary to how schools work. Could that even be possible? You know, that's one of the reasons why I've said the whole model of schooling that we've created, it it doesn't allow us to, um, to really meet the needs of the kids. And so, you know, there are many schools that are totally rethinking the model, thinking about the whole child, how to address the social and the emotional needs of children, making sure that the arts is a central part of school because many kids respond well to the arts. 
music and art and in general getting to know our kids means that that we have systems in place to meet their needs and to build connections i'll give you an example there's a school i work with in the bronx uh, several years ago and um they decided because they they were in a tough neighborhood with a lot of uh, challenges they decided that uh any kid who came in with a criminal record into the high school was going to get a mentor they weren't going to wait for the kid to get in trouble. They'd already gotten into trouble. And the job of the mentor who was on their staff was to get to know that child, get to, to know their parents. And anytime something happened, they would be there in the meeting. They would also check in regularly every day to see how they were doing in school because they wanted to be, again, proactive in making sure that that student had a, a chance to be successful. So that's a system. Um, not every kid needs a mentor, but certain kids absolutely must have them Otherwise, they're not going to succeed. Yeah, and that that brings up an interesting idea of building relationships within the community to provide those types of mentoring adults to those kids. So that's caring adults at school, but then also another caring adult that's not necessarily in the school every day, but can provide some of that, that mentorship to that student as well. And what I like about that is recognizing that not every kid needs a mentor, but some certainly do. And so what I just love about what you're saying, Dr. Noguera, is that every school has to take the time and do the work to know their students individually if they want to make the impact that they need to make. And sometimes that seems very difficult and overwhelming to do. But every time you do that, you you see the rewards very quickly. Where should someone start with that? We've talked about a lot of things, but where would you suggest someone starts with that? I would say that, you know, right at the start of the year, a school I work with in Los Angeles now, they, for entering ninth graders, the first three days of schools are all community building activities uh, designed to help the kids, well, share things about themselves, but also let them know what's available at the school. They do this before school starts, so it's not like they're missing academic time for it. But what it makes a huge difference for those ninth graders to know what kind of environment they're in and, and who's available there and, and to meet the staff. For every other grade, they, they spend the first day of school doing community building work because they, they come back to it. So, you know, that's what that school does. There, there are many ways to do this work. You don't, um, another school I work with, they do an induction ceremony for entering ninth graders, and it's run by the 12th graders. And the 12th graders explain to the entering ninth graders how the school works, what's expected of them. And um, it's, again, part of building a strong sense of community. So there are lots of ways to do this. There's no one way. The main thing is to recognize that all of us function better when we feel like we're part of a community. Human beings, and this is a long-standing finding, don't do well when we're alienated and isolated. We, we, don't, we don't thrive. Yeah. And, and sometimes we can be alienating and isolating even in a school full of 1,200 kids. And sometimes Absolutely. that exacerbates that, that problem that you're alienating. Absolutely. And, you know, we know, and I don't want to disturb anyone, but, you know, we know, know there's a lot of bullying going on in schools and, and even these cases where there have been shootings at schools. A lot of times the adults had no idea what was going on with the kids. The kids knew something was amiss, but the adults didn't. And it's, again, a reflection of the weak relationships. There was a case in Massachusetts at Fall River where a girl went to her teacher and said, uh, you shouldn't come to school tomorrow because something bad is going to happen. And uh, the, the, the teacher had a feeling that, that the girl was, was being honest and went to the police and, 
lo and behold, that girl was a part of a group that were planning to shoot up their school. Uh, so relationships save lives. Relationships are critical for safety in schools. And, and, and so this is not something that we should treat lightly. Yeah, it seems like it's, it's not just a nice thing to do, but it's a necessity. And especially with, with all those things you mentioned, we need it more than ever than we have in the past. Absolutely. So I, I want to wrap up and, and kind of sum up what we're talking about here by asking my final question, which is, what is one thing a principal can do this week to be a transformative leader like you? <laughs> well, I think the main thing that principals can do is to really focus in on the culture of their schools. Again, that's one part that we know has a huge impact on student achievement and ultimate outcomes for kids. And culture is about values. It's about the, the norms that are present within a school. It's about the way people are treated every day. And as a leader, principals play a major role in shaping that culture. And you do that by, by developing a vision and sharing that vision with your staff and getting their input into that vision. And you know, from there, developing a plan to start to create a culture that affirms the importance of children in their, in their education. So I, I would really encourage the principals out there to not ignore culture. You get all the technology you want. But if you don't improve the culture, nothing's going to change. Yeah, that is so true. So Dr. Noguera, how do people learn more from you? Website, Twitter, things like that? Yep, I have a, um, a website. You can go to the uh, Center for the Transformation of Schools at UCLA, and you'll see a new center that um, we're creating now there. I also have a Twitter handle, Pedro A. Noguera. And, um, you know, I'm a regular tweeter and I also have a Facebook page. So I, and I post articles about education. So I hope we can stay connected. I enjoyed my visit uh, to Anchorage, learning a lot about uh, that state and its um, beauty and natural beauty and its challenges. And I hope I can return again one day. Great. Well, that would be awesome. Thank you so much for being part of the Transformative Principle. Thank you, Jethro. It's good talking to you. Well, I cannot tell you how many times people have said it's about culture and everybody agrees with that. I mean, your culture defines who you are, what you do, and it is so important. So if you're not doing something to improve your culture at your school, today's the day to start and make that your focus because that is so important. Thank you so much for listening to Transformative Principle and please share this with someone who would benefit from it. Thank you so much. Transformative Principal is a proud member of the Education Podcast Network. Podcasts for educators by educators. Visit edupodcastnetwork.com for more great podcasts. Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com slash BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all these goals. That's IXL.com slash BE. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all of those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flexible time without all the headaches you get with it usually. 
Its intuitive design and SIS integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com slash BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash BE.